Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Relaxed Running Podcast. I am your host, Tyson Popplestone. Great to have you here. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're back, well, thanks for coming back. I'm glad you're getting some value out of this podcast. The goal here is obviously to help you eliminate so much of the guesswork that comes with running training and just try and iron out any of the confusion that you might have. So whether you're a runner or an athlete from a running-based sport, all of these episodes, most of these episodes are going to be relatable to you. So have a look through, whether it's diet, agility, strength, recovery. There's a lot here. There's a lot to look through. So make sure you have a scroll through. It doesn't matter if it's an older episode still relevant to our training today. But for today, we are very lucky to be joined by the strength and rehab coach from the Melbourne Football Club here in Victoria by the name of Jack McLean. So if you're an international listener, Australian rules football is arguably the biggest sport here in Australia. It's got a heavy running foundation uh, at the basis of the game. And as a result, there's a whole heap of running work that goes into it, but there's also a whole heap of tap, tackling and bumping and little niggles that pop up along the way. So you need someone like Jack to be able to get on board and help point you in the right direction. They play for, well, it's probably 25 weeks, 26 weeks of the year if you're including finals from about March all the way through to early October. So to keep the body in tip-top shape, obviously there's a lot that you have to do between games. And that's something that Jack and I speak about in a fair bit of detail today. The reason I had Jack on the show is because obviously, though the focus of this podcast is usually distance running, running based sports is a huge priority. And there's so many crossovers between how elite athletes in one sport are recovering and how we can apply that to our own sport. So regardless of what you call yourself, whether you're new at running, whether you're an expert at running, whether you're a triathlete or a marathon runner, hang around because there's a whole heap that Jack shares with us about how he makes sure his athletes over at Melbourne Footy Club are in tip top shape come the following round and uh, the same applies to us between sessions and obviously between races. So if you want more from Jack, make sure you jump over to prepare like a pro, just whack that into Google and his site will come up. Really good conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as me and welcome to the show for the very first time. Strength and rehab coach from Melbourne Footy Club, Jack McLean. Mate, it's, uh, it's good to have a chance to get you on my podcast. Obviously, we had a chat on, on yours a couple of weeks ago, and it's, there's some element of crossover between the, the two scenes of work that we're in. And it's interesting because obviously you're in the world of AFL football. I'm in the world of sort of endurance running and running-based sports. But it's, it's nice to see a, another bloke out there with a, you know, a fairly similar kind of approach. And, and what's interesting to you is uh, – or what's interesting – to me, is a lot of the work that you're doing now down at the Melbourne Footy Club as the strength and conditioning or rehab coach. It's so it's so appropriate to speak about in the world of distance running because, as I said before I hit record, I feel as though the last couple of years there's been a, a little bit of a a little bit more of an uptake in strength and conditioning in the world of distance running. Forever, it's just been about go out and run as far as you can for as long as you can and <laughs> just do the best you can with that. Um, but some of the podcasts that I've put out with strength and conditioning lately have, have been really popular. So I, I think it's a timely conversation. So, mate, it's good to finally have you on the show. And I thought maybe as a way of introduction, because you'll be able to do it better than I could, if you just paint a little picture for the audience as to what exactly you're doing down there at the Melbourne Footy Club and how you got involved in the scene that you're in now. 
Yeah, thanks, Tyson. And it was great to chat. And um, yeah, for those that want to listen into that chat we had a couple of weeks ago live, uh, the podcast recording was released on Wednesday this week. So it's very timely. But yes, yeah, so the, the role at, at the Melbourne Footy Club, uh, I was there part time last year, assisting their strength program, and then uh, managing the VFL uh, strength conditioning program. And then this year, our rehab physio. So I was a physio in the current role um, last year or this season, I should say, we're in 2022, uh, got the head physio role at North Melbourne, so that allowed me to get bumped up uh, into a new role, which is a strength conditioning coach that's now in the rehab space, and I'll work really closely with Kathleen, who's our 2IC physio, and she'll be she'll, she'll sort of look after the medical side with those that are injured um, or you know, reconditioning. Um, so we'll work really closely together, which uh, is super exciting for me. It's great to be full-time now in the program in this strength and, and reconditioning role, and uh, it also helps on a personal note to have two young ones and not have to work nights now. I'll, there'll be a difference between VFL, you, you know, Casey Fields will be coming home at 10 o'clock pre-season nights three times a week. Now it's coming home at 5, 5.30 so I can help out with dinner, and which I know the wife's very happy about. So, yeah, from a personal and professional point of view, mate, I'm absolutely wrapped. Yeah, it's unreal. It's unreal, man. I can certainly appreciate the uh, the busyness of a wife and two kids and trying to manage. Well, you're you're probably busier than me. I was saying to Jocker, who's a, now a mutual friend of ours, yesterday on the phone, that uh, you're managing a busy schedule with the wife and the kids and the business and the, the coaching. How, how has that been? How are you navigating the... Uh, the world of just spinning those plates consistently. Yeah, I've noticed the stress has picked up a little bit because, <laughs> you know, I get into a routine and then a new thing adds on, whether you're moving house or a new child, newborn or, or a new job. So I actually for the first time tapped into a 15-minute mindfulness uh, meditation routine on YouTube this morning, which I think set me up for a good day. So I think that that helps me- mental health or, or just even for me, exercising is a good way to uh, feel good as well physically and, and mentally. Um, when getting used used to new things, but I've always been someone that loves to be busy uh, and to be and be active. So even if I'm on holiday, it's a pretty uh, busy day, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's something I like. I like to. I feel like I get more done, and I have you know I, I enjoy the day more when there's uh, challenges in front of me. And definitely in this current role, particularly in rehab, where there's a lot of nuance and, and a lot of individualization to um, be able to work out what the best plan of attack is for for the athlete um, and really being able to bring them back to their performance, not just, you know, rehabilitating their injury, but actually bring them back to a point where they feel not only have they rehabbed the injury, but also they've uh, either got better at a, at a certain area of their game uh, from a physical point of view, or they just feel really confident to return back to playing. Yeah. What, what's your origin in the sporting world? Did you have an interest in sport and played sport yourself growing up or was it more just an interest in helping athletes develop and the coaching side of things like it's a it's an interesting conversation speaking to someone in a position like yours because obviously the the quality of the athletes that you're working with now they don't get much higher than that in Australian sport and um, as I've said like that rehab side of things is one that fascinates me and I know how much time and effort goes into it in the world of footy so it's a a topic I'm interested to get into a little more with you uh, throughout this conversation but in terms of just laying a foundation how did you yeah. how did you find your way into the world of football and strength conditioning rehab? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think definitely growing up, uh, I had the ambition, like probably most Melbournians. So for me, it wasn't actually AFL that was the goal; it was cricket for Australia. Uh, absolutely loved watching Shane Warne, and and but I didn't have big enough hands when I was eight to to bowl 
leg spin, so I had to learn pace. Um, but, yeah, absolutely loved cricket growing up and going to Boxing Day and things like that with my dad. Uh, big AFL family, though. Grandpa played senior footy. Dad played Collingwood, Melbourne for 50-odd games. Uh, cousins playing at Sydney at the moment. Uncle played a, a senior game. So it was definitely in my upbringing. Uh, for, for whatever reason, I found football quite late. So I was, I was still bouncing the ball with two hands, had no idea, <laughs> and dropping the ball at the age of uh, 14. So I started or 13. Um, and definitely enjoyed the, the the game, but didn't have the skill to be able to take it to the elite level. But I absolutely would have loved, you know, I love training and 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 having the purpose and and you know working with a team. So absolutely, if I had the skill, I would have loved to have been um, to you know pursue that goal. Uh, but yeah, once working out, I didn't have that that skill or or whatever it might be, work ethic. I the next best thing for me uh, it was coaching. So fell in love with actually first coaching role i guess you would call it was coaching um adults who couldn't swim uh to to learn how to swim competently and typically they were um foreign students that had moved into the country and wanted to be able to enjoy the beach so for them it was even just getting in the water was a fear um so to be able to work through them on a personal note to build that confidence and then to be able to teach them a 25 meter um lap pool swim was was hugely rewarding and that's where i started to realize that yeah coaching and that people side was a huge passion and I won't get into too much of the back end, but went over to Camp America, met a few personal trainers and definitely thought that would be a passion of mine. So I got into the fitness industry where you're working with uh, bodybuilders, uh, just general population might be getting fit for a wedding, so weight loss clients. I went down that road for about six years and learned a lot of good business skills as well to manage my own schedule and work for myself and pay rent. Um, and then it, but you're either sort of a PT for those that, or, you know, personal trainers, you either sort of you hit a, cross, a crossroads where you open up your own gym or usually people just get sick of doing 40 sessions a week and 6 a.m.s and you know, late nights and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's not that uh, conducive to longevity. So for me, I chose to – I did a pre-season training. I got invited to help out the Corfu Grammarians with their football club and absolutely love that, like to work with athletes, uh, have that, you know, uh, purpose. Everyone was driven for the same thing, staff and players. Uh, and that was for, for team success and just to get better as well. So they were super motivated and probably reminded me back to where it all started, where, you know, with for those who wanted to learn how to swim 25 metres so they could feel confident in the water and, they were, and were highly motivated getting there. And, and my role was just to support them and give them a guideline of progression to get there. Uh, it's something that I love doing. And naturally, you, you go to after Caulfield Grammarians preseason, I asked the head coach who Wayne Oswald had worked at a few AFL clubs and Sandy Dragons and Pathways and had some good networks and spent a day at North Melbourne with their high performance department. And they um, asked, oh, what, you know, if you want to do this, what, what is your degree? And at that point, it was a certificate three and four. So they said, well, you're going to need to do your bachelor's degree. Um, so that's where I started the path of working towards working uh, definitely with a clear goal of working as an AFL as a strength initiative coach and uh, was lucky enough to get, yeah, that opportunity. Once I finished my bachelor's of sports science, I got my first full-time role at Hawthorne footy club. And then that was interrupted um, due to COVID the whole development, which I was in that space looking after first and second year players was made redundant with 2020. So I had a year out of sport with 2020, 21. And then uh, looking after iron edge, they opened up a new business, small group training, like a body fit model. And I was itching to get back into sport. So it was an, it was a nice time to actually reflect on, going back to working with general pop, which I do enjoy, but it just doesn't fill me up as much as working for the, the the pressure that sport brings and the reward that brings from everyone all in working towards a common goal. 
so yeah, I was lucky enough to be now at Melbourne Footy Club, which is um, yeah, a great result. Not a uh, and for international listeners, listeners as well, you can I can tell you that Melbourne Footy Club. If there's one club you'd want to be involved in at the moment, or if there's if there's three clubs that you'd want to be involved in at the moment here in Victoria, it's it's yeah. definitely one of the top three. I mean, you guys have had a pretty little a pretty little purple patch the last couple of seasons. Wait, was it last year that you guys took home the cup? That's uh, it seems like a lifetime ago now. So much has happened since then, but the atmosphere yeah. down there must be uh, it must be unreal, is it? Like I can imagine going into work with a group of guys like that who are, you know, pretty well aware of the fact they're in good form. Obviously, not the not the ideal end of the season this season, but still a, a pretty solid, especially the start to the season was pretty solid. It must just be an yeah. up and about place to be a lot of the time at the moment, is it? Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, it's um, the the key pillars in, in with the players, like the leaders are really driven to, to get the most out of themselves. And then uh, equally the staff members as well, the, the the key staff members and the, and the support staff, everyone's pretty clear on, on what they want to achieve. And, uh, yeah, it's it's something that it's it going to, you know, f- to call that your workplace is, um, yeah, it feels feels unreal still. Um, so it's, it's one of those, even after a loss, the boys will be up and about in the gym and uh, they've got that good balance of being able to put in the work but also enjoy the process and have some fun and not take it all too seriously. So it's it, yeah, there's a lot of learning coming from it for sure, both from, how to balance and manage expectation, but also to how to make the most of yourself and, and bring people along for the ride. So it's, yeah, it's something that straight away, for, even from pre-season last year, I just couldn't believe the amount of load that the players were able to um, not only handle, but also embraced it and, and really thrived. And, and the training quality was still really high. I like to have that amount of volume of work they'd cover in a week, but also train at high intensity and then, and also, and almost embrace it as if they want it, rather than shy away from it or complain about it. it was uh, definitely eye opening. And then, um, yeah, just the, some games throughout the year, even though we didn't get the the premiership, just when they play at their best and they're absolutely on song or in the zone, whatever you want to call it, I still think Melbourne Footy Club's still the best team on their day. Uh, and witnessing a couple of those performances on game day, it's um, yeah, it's cool to be a bit around it. That's for sure. That's cool, man. It sounds like there's a little bit of Ted Lasso environment going on down there. Have you seen that show yet on Apple? Don't think so, no. Ted oh, Lasso, do, I often do, note it down. Do yourself, do yourself a favour. My wife and I have just started yeah. season two, and it's a, it's a, it's a cracker. I can't, I can't say enough. I reckon uh, I'm not sure it's the kind of coach that I would want necessarily, but uh, in terms of just being able to bounce back from a disappointing result, it's a, I, I feel as though I need to have a bit of the Ted Lasso <laughs> attitude. Yeah. Man, I um, I'm keen to pick we'll your brain more about the um, the the strength and conditioning side of things because obviously, uh, so just to clarify, I think I mentioned before, it's a mm. predominantly distance running based podcast. Most of the listeners here are people from the running world, but I also mm. know that there's an incredible crossover between the strength and conditioning side of any sport and just learning to be able to move your body in a functional way, which is beneficial to you know whatever it is that you're putting into practice. In terms of a rehab side of things, though, that's the that's the one area I wanted to unpack with you because distance runners traditionally are fantastic at being able to go out there and put in the hard work and show up day after day and run and push through little niggles and push through little obstacles and perhaps be too good at pushing themselves to a point of no return for a lot longer than they need to be. But, uh, but what one thing that I think from t- over 20 years in the sport – that I constantly see is there's not a real good stop signal. There's not a real good rehab program. There's not, 
anyone who has as structured a rehab program as what they have a, a training program. So I was curious just to launch into this particular chat, just to hear a little more from you around the structures, uh, the things that you guys have in place or what it is that you're actually working through with athletes. Now, I know like the world of running, footballers are all dealing with a variety of niggles. It's a very individualised thing I can imagine. But are there some real yeah. pillars that stand out to you as elements that, that these, these guys, in your instance, need to be working on to, to either you know, prevent injuries or to navigate their way through? Yeah, yeah, it's a great topic and, and um, yeah, something I'm, I've learned a lot about over the last couple of years and I feel like the industry, <clears throat> as I've learned a lot, it's been a fortunate time over the last sort of five, six years where I feel like there has been a shift towards recovery, you know, protection, conservative to now, no, we've got to build robust athletes because it's, it's a brutal sport and uh, we need to be able to prepare the athletes for the brutality of that sport, both from you know, uh, from a running point of view, but also the combative nature of it, and, and like you mentioned, the different moving patterns. It's three hundred and sixty degrees, so um, there's a there's a lot of different uh, demands on the body that we've got to put the the athletes through to be prepared as, as best prepared they can be. Obviously, there's some injuries you can't prevent, but um, yeah, I think that that's the biggest learning that I've got from it. So even if we're reconditioning an athlete, obviously, over, you know, at depending on the pathology. We've, you've got to start slow and introduce a new stress, whether it be on a weekly basis or on a session basis, not throw everything out of it once um, and have those building blocks in place and periodize your progression. But even for the main group as well, um, there's a time where we've got to respect the off season. So having some time to rest uh, and rejuvenate more from a mental point of view for the, you know, for psychological, so they get to re recover mentally. And you hear a lot in footy in terms of timing your run, you know, there's no point. Um, being the best you can be in, in December, we want to be the best you can be throughout throughout the season, uh, particularly September uh, when the most important games are played. So it is a long haul. It's it's a grind for the athletes. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And I feel by preparing the athletes from a robustness point of view, it's we probably have gone down towards more of like whether you call it risky or not. But you we want to we want to prepare the athletes over preseason probably about 20, 30 percent more over a week. Um, then you would typically cover in the worst case scenario in season. And that's really important. So from a physical point of view, they're ready, but also from a mental point of view, if you get two six day, to, six day turnarounds, for example, in your fixture, and one of them's got to travel interstate game as well, you can reflect back to that, you know, hell week, if they call it that, um, where they know they've actually gone through physically 20%, 30% more workload during that week. So they it gives them a, a real boost that oh, we can embrace anything and not only embrace it, but actually perform. Whereas if you're in that conservative model of like, you know, you're a little bit sore, you got a little bit of niggle. Okay. We're going to rest you today and uh, we'll train again another day. Um, we've at Melbourne, we've got a real train first mentality and uh, it's something the players lead uh, and the support and the support staff. We definitely support it uh, and, and guide the players through that. And that's where we might be able to help out at times where obviously we don't want to, uh, if a player's just strained their hamstring, um, for them to sprint 100% the next day, uh, but there's something that they can do and really make the most of what they can do in the, in that current phase. Uh, or if they do have a bit of a niggle, understanding you know what that niggle is uh, and where can we, what drills can they do and then what are some drills that perhaps might not be worth the risk. Um, so it's that train-first mentality is really important because we feel over time if we can get in majority of the work 80 percent of the work over pre-season we're going to build a more robust resilient athlete to set them up for less risk for injury which ultimately prevents injuries especially those soft tissue overload type injuries because we've built a, a better base 
over the preseason. Uh, so that's really, really important, and that's something we work back from the season to work out what's the worst-case scenario going to be, and then we plan that and periodise that over preseason. So typically, <clears throat> no matter what football club you're at, February, that hell week will, will, will come in because we know come March we've got to start getting into that season schedule where you know 50% of their weekly load is going to come from Saturday, the game week, in terms of volume of run. Um, so there's not a lot of time <clears throat> the SNCs get with the with the athletes. We want to prioritise the tactical, the technical meetings, review, uh, recovery. So yeah, you change your blocks to prioritise uh, freshness and sharpness around that time. Uh, where in preseason we're, we're really laying the foundations of of uh, workload. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's a really good answer. Uh, the strength and conditioning side of things, it's it's obviously quite a broad umbrella. When I was 15 or 16 and someone said strength and conditioning, I thought of bicep curls and calf raises. And that was yeah. sort of the extent of what I knew about. And obviously, um, you know, that strength work in the gym, that real heavy work is an important factor. But one thing that I've been learning a lot over the last couple of years and, and through speaking to a variety of people from the strength and conditioning scene from you know, people in your role to Alice Baker, who's been on here a few times speaking about Pilates and some of the strength elements that comes in through a practice like that is, is it's quite broad and it can be quite deep mm. and it can, it can be sort of difficult to get your head around at times how to structure that and how to put it into place. Do you have any philosophy or idea in regards to, you know, where each of those categories fit in and what other categories you would add to that? So in terms of a, mm. a pre-season training program, uh, for a you know for for a typical midfielder uh, as an example, would they be going mm. out and doing a couple of gym sessions, or is there Pilates, or how do you navigate what kind of strength they need, um, you know, to further facilitate their their performance on the field? Yeah, it's very collaborative. So, you know, we'll we'll catch up as a high performance department, and within that's a medical team as well, and go through the list um, a couple of times a week. Uh, but also we'll have you know we had a HP review. Um, planning for this preseason and what our key pillars will be um, and what the focus areas will be and how we'll go about doing that in terms of tests. So we've got some objective measures that we really, you know, we feel like what you measure, you really value to the athletes. So we don't want to just measure everything if we're not going to use it. So really having a strong filter on the tests we are going to get, the battery tests that we we think are really important for the group um, you know, and, and what standards they need to, to, to be able to hit to know that they're, they're Melbourne ready by the end of preseason. So having objective measures is, is quite helpful. And and then there that allows you to individualise. So if a, a new player that's come in and they've never done a Nordic hamstring curl before and, and they're well below 400 newtons, which is one one standard that we hold by uh, because the research shows that that's your lower risk for straining a hamstring when you've got that eccentric strength, um, then that will be a key focus for that athlete. to you know That's something we really value as a club and straight away, you know, it's an objective measure. That athlete wants to get the most out of themselves. They're going to be pretty motivated to to try and increase their score. So objective measures can be really helpful to help give clarity to the athletes on what do they need to focus on, what are their strengths, and um, what are the areas that they need to, to focus on to be able to you know, have a ticket to the dance. So sometimes we're not ignoring the weaknesses. If there's no point um, ignoring those, if you're not fit enough to be able to play the game, then clearly you need to be able to work on your fitness. And then once they've gotten to a point where, uh, like the older players, um, where they're, they're quite well-rounded. They've got about five pre-seasons under them. Um, how can we try and sharpen their weapons and really focus on being the best that they can be because they typically are probably going to play 
in a position where their strengths are going to come through. That's why the, the, the team selected them in that position. So how can we really maximise their strengths to allow for team performance? Um, so, yeah, we, we work back from that. What are the key pillars that we sort of focus on as a, as a club? Within that, what are the key uh, areas of focus for um, that player in terms of what, what areas are they do they need work on um, to be able to get that level where they're actually can handle week after week performance at AFL level. Uh, and then when they're at that point where they they can handle the game and they've been, they've been doing it for a few years, then it's more sort of a performance focus. And within that, it's very individual. Some players will come in and they'll be ready to go as if they've had five pre-seasons and they've only done one or two. And then you'll have others just because they're physically mature and uh, and they're, and they're um, either they've done it through preparation or, or through genetics, or there'll be others that just take a little bit longer and, and that's, um, what the support staff helped them with in terms of bridging that gap. Uh, so hopefully that helps build clarity, like making sure that the fitness tests are appropriate uh, and there's a reason for them. They've got a strong purpose. They're, you know, like a 2K time trial for aerobic capacity. We do strength tests in the in the gym to measure their max force production. We use force decks to, to measure things like their reactive strength, so how well they can um, spring off the floor. Um, and then we, once we've got those batteries of tests, there's a lot of um, screening assessments that the, the physios will do um, to be able to assess their hip profile, um, which puts them at potential risk if they're out of balance with like hip flexion and uh, groin squeeze and glute strength. So we, we've got through using research as well as just through experience working with AFL athletes, we've created these batteries of tests that helps us filter on what's really important for that player. And then we're able to um, program according to the group and also then add that 20% on what that player needs to be able to bring them up to speed and um, let them be the best they can be. Yeah. How, how do you guys structure the strength work around the other work that you're putting in? So, for example, if you guys are meeting up in the preseason to do a, a pretty solid hit out, would you guys incorporate a strength and conditioning workout on that same day? I'm interested in this because mm. the distance running world's funny because you can get two world-class athletes and you ask them that question and one of them will say, no, I like just to get it all out of the way on one day so the next day is easy. And the other one would say, yeah. that's horrific. There's no way I would ever put my body through that on one day. I'm going to space it out as naturally as I can throughout the week. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know if anyone really has the answer for a blanket rule for the the, the complex species that we are as humans. I think there's a, there's a fair bit of... Um, yeah, individual approach to it. Uh, obviously, dealing with a squad, we can't individualize that because they all need to be able to go through the same football drills together. Otherwise, it just be it wouldn't work. Um, and therefore, for us, what we know, generally speaking, particularly more in season, preseason is a bit different. But in season, when we know it can take forty eight hours, even up to seventy two hours, for the body to fully recover from an AFL game. Um, so there's not really a hell of a lot of value in doing power and speed training early in the week, but we can, the body can recover and be able to produce max force really well. So slow strength training is a good time to do in the week. Naturally, that type of training as well does produce more muscle soreness uh, just with the general tonnage that the body's going through. So by doing it early in the week, it also works quite well for the upcoming game because it's far enough from the game for it to affect the performance. So early in the week is quite good for, for heavy strength work, um, but for a football schedule, uh, and that also works quite well because the bodies are still recovering from a neural point of view and peripheral sort of point of view. It means that our football session early in the week is a little bit lighter. So that works really well together. And then on later in the week, um, so for us, we train like on a Monday and a Wednesday for a Saturday game. So the Wednesday game is prioritizing the football. By that time, they're fully recovered. So you can sprint, you can accelerate, decelerate, do all the football that the coaches sort of need. 
um, to do to prepare for that game. And we do more of a total body power day um, to just to neurally get them fired up for that upcoming game. And then from a mental point of view, they get Thursday off, which is, as the players, especially the older ones mentioned, that's just enough where they don't feel anxious about the game for a Saturday game. You know, it's two days prior, where if it was on Friday, they, they're thinking about the game the whole day. So that sort of is a holistic way of looking at it from a, from a loading point of view. That's in season, and then it's just rinse and repeat, and, and we, we change, obviously, if that's a seven-day turnaround, but if it's a six-day, five-day with COVID, eight-day, then that that can change that schedule. Pre-season, like I was talking about before, we're just basically trying to build their base. So you want to try and maximise physical qualities. Um, so yeah, each time the performance staff and the coaches will get together and talk about areas of the game we're trying to work of it, work on and really focus on as a collective. Um, and then that's that will basically dictate what the sort of schedule looks like. So if you're training, typically AFL clubs will have three main training sessions a week um, and we'll throw their gym work on those days as well. So for like the athlete that you were talking about, that's sort of the model we go with. When we go, we go all in, in a sense, in terms of their strength in on their legs and uh, their conditioning and their skills load is on that day. So then they get 48 hours recovery before we do it again. Whereas if we, and there's some programs that do this and there's some athletes that prefer it, where if you go hard on the, the legs with the football and the running and then you hit the strength on the next day um, and then you have to go again is the only problem. So there's a big accumulation load um, with that philosophy, um, which might bite you in the butt later on, you know, in, in weeks' time. Um, so certainly the programs I've worked with, it's it's usually, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hit that uh, strength generally after their field training. We prioritise the running and we prioritise the, the skills uh, and then give the body some 48 hours recovery. So, you, you know, if you do that on Monday, Tuesday is more of an upper body day with some potential cross-training and craft work. Uh, and, and like a half day as well. So taking into account their contact hours, so not spending too much time at the club for, for life outside of football to switch off. Wednesday, you go again for another main day of the, uh, where the athletes on main days will be in from seven till four. And then Thursday off and then Friday, that main day again. And then Saturday, we do a top up, like a heel session or, or a fart leg trail run, you know, top up the legs basically. And by getting four sessions on the legs, we're able to get that, you know, 40 to up to 55 Ks across your week. Um, so you can get some good volume, um, but also at the same time, we're getting three good football sessions in as well. Gee, that's some so solid I don't know if that explains your answer. Oh, no, yeah. it really does. That's some solid volume that the boys are doing on top of their work. And it was one thing that blew my yeah. mind. When I got down to Box Hill Hawks a few, oh, a few years ago, 2014 now, I came from a distance running world where I thought we were just the, the hardest blokes going around. And I got introduced to the training program there. And I remember the first couple of weeks just being like, oh, my goodness. Like, I had no idea that anyone in the AFL has seen work this hard. <laughs> because, yeah. I don't know, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's just the change from, like, the early 90s approach to AFL footy to what we're doing now. But it's it's certainly a much more professional sport. And I think, uh, yeah, I got, I got some just desserts for all the years of just uh, trash I talked about footballers before I got back out there and, and had to run around with them. Mate, it was interesting to hear you say that the Thursday is the day that you'll offer a, a rest day to some of the players. And I like your reason for it, like that it's far enough away to not be too caught up on the anxiety because naturally in a race world, in distance running world, before a race, the hmm. idea of giving someone a rest day that's not the day before a race, it's just a it's a foreign concept, but it kind of makes sense because mm. to a degree, I used to like the idea from time to time of going out and just doing an easy run and a few strides 
just to stretch out, stretch out the legs the day before. Yeah, you, and that's what we do on Friday. We do, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Friday we call Demon Day, and that's um, probably leaning a bit on the soccer philosophy. So, you know, captains runs typically in you know in programs that train Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, which some programs do, and then there's other ones like I talked about where we do Monday, Wednesday is our main day. Uh, so if you do train Tuesday, Thursday, it naturally means that the Friday is just a fluff session, basically pretty cruisy, not much to it. And then do your team meeting where there's a fair bit of intent on that, obviously from a tactical point of view um, to prepare for the, for the next game. So it's almost like a, a mobility run around, you know, not much to it where for us, because we train on Wednesday, they had Thursday off Friday. There's a fair bit of intensity. Like there's a couple of drills in there that are high pace, um, deliberately and, and some agility drills as well to neurally get the athletes up to be game ready the next day, which they visit for physical point of view. Uh, there is some benefits for you know, priming them um, the day after. We also do some power work in the gym as well before that to get them up as well. So um, yeah, they're not fluffing around. They're certainly getting themselves to that, you know, above match intensity. And then hopefully that allows them to be ready on game day and start the game strong rather than the other approach. If, you know, if you hadn't done anything really with intensity since Thursday, um, you know, it could be some players that can just switch it on as soon as they pass the white line, they're ready to go. But for others, they do need that um, energy going into a game. So yeah, it, it's it's a good approach. It was some learning to go from one model. Hawthorne was, the, I don't know if they've changed now, but they were the Tuesday, Thursday model with that Friday and um, a uh, captain's run and then to see this Monday, Wednesday. And it seems to be a bit of, you know, other clubs, speaking to other clubs in the off season, some are going with that, that Monday, Wednesday model. Um, so yeah, who knows? You know, there's there's pros and cons with any sort of philosophy, I guess. You've just got to find what works best for your group uh, of players, uh, and then back it in and, and do it uh, at the best ability. And and um, it's probably not the reason necessarily the schedule why you'll win majority of the time, but hopefully it does contribute to consistent performance anyway. Yeah, sure. So so after a, say a Saturday match, uh, the boys have been out there. They've had their game. They're back in the club rooms. That rehab style thing just it begins there essentially. What does the what does that immediate sort of within the next twenty four hours like from from sort of half an hour after the game to twenty four hours after the game in terms of that rehab recovery side of things? Are there any just core components that you've got to make sure that they hit in that period to speed up their recovery? This is so when you reference rehab, are you talking about if a player strained oh, a hamstring? What are they? Nah, or, sorry, or just recover, group recovery. Group recovery, yeah. So, sort of just making yeah. sure you're nurturing all the the little knocks and bumps, and uh, just that that running pain that's going to come in from you know just a real hard hit out. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, something uh, there's a, a probably a big element of it is uh, for anyone that's been to an AFL game, especially the night games, uh, even staff members, like it's so hard to wind down and go to sleep uh, at a regular time. You know, if you're getting home at midnight, I've had you know, uh, you can speaking to the players as well. You can take till 2 3 a.m to get to sleep so really the big recovery is to actually just neurally try and switch them off because they've been you know it's the most important day of the week so arousal levels are through the roof which you want it to be and then we want to try and do it on a flip so try and get into that parasympathetic relaxed um, state so they can um, wind down and ultimately the best recovery is qualities of uh, night's rest so that's probably the main fact we're working back from that how can we maximize sleep quality um and that's where there's a fair bit of flexibility into it as well because there's there's research in recovery, but there's probably a, a fair bit more to, um, that needs to be done 
Uh, and it, it's a challenging one because it's probably quite individual as well in what works psychologically, what works physically. So it's really hard to measure. But um, we'll, we'll typically in pre-season, we want to maximise developing um, for some muscle mass. And what we have noticed is there's some research suggests that an ice bath can stint the um, protein synthesis that we want for developing muscle mass. So we tend to let the players know, particularly the ones that we want to gain some muscle mass, uh, we'll avoid the ice bath over pre-season. We actually want you to be a bit sore to maximise that adaptation, where in, in season it's all about recovery. So ice baths, any sort of water-based water immersion to help that blood flow. Uh, Nutrition is really important. So, you know, straight after the game, even if they're not hungry, which can tend to be with the digestive system, just try and get in some protein smoothie, pizza, some like, things that they're going to want to, even though it's not the healthiest of foods like grilled burgers, um, whatever it might be, just to get the carbohydrates in is really, really important. Uh, refueling, uh, rehydrating, sorry, as well. So throughout the game, they'll typically have gels um, just to keep their energy up. And then post-game will be your, your, uh, make sure they're having plenty of water. Um, so, yeah, nothing too fancy other than, you know, making sure you're refueling, rehydrating, and then really trying to switch off. And that becomes quite individual for some that it helps to go into an ice bath. For some, it might be some, a mindfulness routine. Um, with the sports psychologist for some it could be stretching and foam rolls which will have all the bands and, and stretching out um, so we tend to respect that there's a fair bit of uh, individual nuance that goes into it so we just basically especially the younger players educate them on some different methods um, and then it's up to the player to sort of you know choose their journey so to speak and what's going to work best for them uh, but yeah the probably the main point I want to put across is it's what can maximize your, your ability to switch off uh, from an arousal point of view, to help you sleep at night. And if you can get a good night's sleep, all the other things are just 1% is the foam rolling, the stretching and, and, and everything else. Yeah, I'm going to have to make sure I stop putting in those ice baths after my uh, my gym workouts because I'm starting to get a little skinny. And every after every workout, if the sun's out, I go, you know what, I'm going to go and jump in the ocean, uh, work on the tan and work <laughs> on the recovery. And uh, I'm going to put it down to the fact my bulk phase isn't going as effectively as it should be based purely on the swim not on me getting nowhere near the calories I need to be hitting. But anyone who says that an ice <laughs> bath is, is not necessarily essential after a game or after a race is a, is a huge – well, you didn't say after a race. I've put those words in your mouth. But is a huge friend of mine because whatever it took to dodge that particular <laughs> part of recovery, I was, uh, I was more than happy to buy into. In terms of massage yeah. and stuff like that, have you, have you got the um, – is it just the foam rollers? You've got the whole massage crew out the back ready to give the players a rub down once they get in? Yeah, for, like massage uh, budget for massage therapy has been reduced slightly since COVID, but it's definitely starting to increase uh, in our football department. Uh, but yeah, certainly um, some players will definitely get a flush massage uh, at an AFL level and, and some at a VFL level, but um, majority, whether it be the physios that will help out in that regard um, or, or you know, massage therapists that we have on hand in a game, um, we'll definitely get that. And some players really, really love that. Uh, and they'll get a, you know up to three massages a week leading into the game as well as one after the game. So massage therapy is definitely a, a regular. And, um, yes, uh, that's a big part of the option for athletes to, to choose as well. Yeah, I know luck and stuff might have something to do with it in terms of your body's durability and uh, ability to be able to play over the course of 10 years really well. But at the risk of just generalizing far too much um, mm. to what is a really individualized sport, are there are there any two or three things that you can see that players who have been around for the long haul and are still playing really well are doing on a regular basis that those who might 
be like a bit more of a flash in the pan in terms of, you know, whether that's school level or whether that's just their body's durability to get through game after game are doing. Is there, is there anything that you can point mm. to in like a, a big Maxi Gorn or a, you're better at choosing a Melbourne player who's been around for a long time that's a, a good athlete than me? Um, yeah, because it's, it's really interesting just to – the distance running scene, like an Aliyad Kipchoge, he's been around now since – at world class since about 2003 – and it's not just his mm. consistency with running, it's his consistency with his um, strength and mobility stuff. Uh, and I think we might have spoke about that on your podcast. I'm, I'm getting confused maybe. But it was interesting just seeing the Kenyans approach to – they had a bit more of a lightweight approach in the gym. But his durability is insane. Like it, he, he barely misses a beat in terms of training. And I can only imagine that sort of crosses over to every other sport, including footy. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a bit in that. Like the athletes around the world, your Djokovic, your Federer's, LeBron James, uh, as they get that plus thirty three, they and, and Australian rules football, Sean Burgoyne, I know is, you know, the, the lighter they feel, the better uh, in terms of um, durability. Um, I, I remember Bruce Connor, who's been a physio, would always he's been in there for over thirty years in AFL, and he would say to you know, to play more footy, you need to play more footy. And he was talking about how important it is, you know, as soon as you get an injury, you're at higher risk for other injuries. And so continuity and just getting that routine down pat, athletes love routine. So finding a routine that works for you and then it's just rinse and repeat and just sticking to it, um, both from a physical point of view, recovery point of view and, and psychological point of view. So routine, I think the, the best and the best athletes have a routine that they know works well for them and they know what that process looks like from, from you know, day one all the way through to game day. Uh, and they, you know, they're pretty uh, a stickler with that routine. Um, so I think, yeah, routine probably be one I've observed. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, being lean and efficient with body weight later on in their career. So I guess that curiosity and willingness to constantly get better and learn uh, on their craft rather than it getting stale. So the hunger and curiosity is probably something as well where. Whether they're going on overseas to do a special, you know, Petrarca this preseason did a Red Bull camp uh, where he did like you know VA two testing and and all this work and and no doubt has come back with some information to make himself better. So I think that's pretty uh, consistent with the best athletes, not only in Australian rules football but but every um, sport is that they're, you know they're pretty keen to keep focusing on areas of their game that they can improve. Uh, they've got a good sense of of body awareness, I guess, of what that what areas they need to focus on. Yeah, really good, man. It's interesting just to see the level, like on the world scale that these players are going to now, like to hear Petrarca's gone over to this Red Bull camp or whatever it's called to glean a little bit of extra information. I just, I live and breathe that stuff. It's so exciting to to hear about a young fellow who's already, you know, to many probably considering at the top of his game, definitely one of the best in the league. He's still gone yeah. away and, and just trying to get little, little glimmers of um, information just to take his game to a new level. Are there any other boys down there who you'd put in that same category or is Melbourne just sort of renowned for that kind of mindset, just constant, constant improvement? That's probably a silly yeah. question when uh, you put it like that. Cause obviously every AFL team's obsessed with constant improvement, but I mean, um, as a, as a general kind of approach, is that, is that something that's really encouraged amongst the whole group? Yeah, definitely. I think it stems down from yeah, Max Gorn, Viney, you know, the leaders, um, they they definitely uh, have a, a pretty clear aura around them that you, you get the most out of yourself, uh, and and they're pretty clear about their purpose, um, as well as like I mentioned as well. So there's that work ethic, but also there's the flip side where they can easily have a laugh and enjoy themselves. And I think yeah. that aspect, you know, everyone's a bit different, and there'll be some that love to 
use the gym as a bit of a time to be jovial, but then when it's their set, they switch on and they can, you know, make sure they're really focused on what they're doing and the task that's in front of them. Uh, and I think that I think at times, and it's hard when you're winning, it's easy to have that enjoyment factor. And when you're losing, you feel like you're not working hard enough and you just need to work, work, work. But actually sometimes it's, it's working less and taking yourself out of the environment to reflect on what needs to change rather than just keep doing the same thing over and over again. So uh, there's definitely that balance between, uh, you know, hard work, but also smart work, you know, dedicated work. And yeah, to answer your question, I think uh, there's, it'd be hard to mention all the names, but the leaders, and then it stems through the whole playing list that the, the young boys see that and they just, you know, want to be, they want to model those guys, the Petrarca, the Viney, Clayton Oliver's ruthless with his work ethic. He's, he's uh, constantly working on his body to, to get better and in his craft, um, Dude, it's working. He looks fantastic. Every time he comes on the TV, I go, oh, my gosh, like what an absolute unit. You've got so many beasts down there. I'm so glad I'm not part of those gym workouts because some of those real young boys, I said, like a Clayton Oliver, he's just – it's no surprise that he's such a beast under the pack because he's just – he's a big boy, isn't he? He's a big unit. Yeah, he's solid. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. They're midsections of these guys. They're bulls. (laughs) What kind of of weight would uh, Clayton Oliver bench press, do you reckon? Uh, Oh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I know – um he's he does a lot of extra core work yeah sorry no you're right i got you of, uh, there we are yeah the screen just went off for a second uh, yeah he does a lot of ex- extra dedicated uh core work so he work in terms of building his size um his shoulders bench press isn't the best movement for him so we do a lot more like dumbbell floor press and things like that which he lifts quite heavy with the dumbbells but um, I guess because the crash and nature of his sport, bench press just isn't, isn't a movement that we've spent a lot of time on. But someone like Jack Viney, who's got the sh- he responds well to bench press in terms of his shoulder health, uh, he would be benching, I don't know, 130 for, for reps. Oh my gosh, uh, isn't it? Yeah, for reps, yeah, yeah. I, I pushed 80, yeah, so it's pretty impressive. I thought I was a hero <laughs> pushing 80 up twice the other day, that was good, dude. Thanks yeah, for um, th- thanks for coming by, man. It was uh, it's good to be able to sit down and have a chat with you. Uh, for anyone out there who's who's interested, whether we've got we've got a pretty solid football following as well. So for any of the footballers out there who are interested to hear more about you and what you've got to offer, um, you wanna you wanna do a little plug? Tell them about prepare like a pro and, and where to find you. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, thanks, mate. And yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's been really good to to chat shop. Yeah, for those that want to get, in, I mean, the website's probably got all the information in terms of uh, we do like a, a newsletter uh, where we post heaps of free content through there. Um, we've got a 14-day trial, so if you want to join our program, there's a free 14-day trial um, where you get you know three runs a week as well as the, the the four gym sessions depending on your your training goal. So there's three different programs there, and uh, yeah, if, if if there's any any questions or or further conversations you want to elaborate or or you want clarity on from what we've talked about, more than happy to answer. Just email me at jacketpreparelikeapro.com and reference the Tyson's podcast, and yeah, more than happy to. Uh, elaborate further awesome mate that no, was good it's good to catch up with you and, and touch base really interesting good luck for um what are we now november i guess the next couple of months are, are the real business end of of your schedule so i'm excited to, to hear more about how you're going and and watch how the boys progress over the next couple of months and, and through the season yeah yeah they're starting to come back we got the young boys first of five year boys come back on the 28th and the rest of the club comes back on december 5th so get a good three-week block pre-christmas and and then really ramp it up over the new year awesome man hey thanks for coming on i'll leave you to it thanks tyson good to chat matt speak soon see you later see everybody 
Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com.